0: Amen. All right, everybody grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, you want one, there's some over there on the table. Some of you I know are in your phone technology-led app. That's fine, too. Digital Bible, whatever you want to call it. Go to flip over to 1 John, if you would. Chapter 2, verse 18. When you're there, say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Because that's most of you. Here's what the Word of God says. Children, in the last hour, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Well, Father, we come to you again requesting for your help, your assistance, your guidance, your spirit to illuminate in us the truth of the word of God that is before us. Lord, would you speak that truth? this morning through me, um, boldly and clearly and plainly. God, we thank you. And we love you. We really do, Lord. You're worthy of all that we have to bring to you, including our time and intention now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends, if you have any questions, the number is going to be on the screen shortly. There it is. Text your questions to that number there and... Sam and I will come up here at the end and, and answer those questions for you. Okay, so we read through our passage for today, and in there, there are some, some things that probably are demanding our attention. You're reading some of those things, you're like, hmm, there's some interesting things going on there, if you're really paying attention to what's happening. And we're going to look at some of those things, for sure. But if you want to know, just sort of right up the front, like, what's the, what's the core of this message? What, what do we really need to know? That's this. That the anointing of the Holy Spirit at our conversion reveals the truth about Jesus and the word of God keeps us grounded in that truth. That's the core we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit at our conversion reveals the truth about who God is and then the word of God keeps us on track, if you will. That would be the foundational principle Another additional thing you could add to that, I guess, would be that the truth has already been revealed to you and there's no need of anything else. You don't need anything else. You already have the truth. Nothing else is required. But John is concerned. He's concerned about some of the people that were among them who didn't seem to be satisfied with what they had heard, nor did it seem like they had been anointed by the Holy Spirit and abiding in the original teachings. At least that's what it looks like. And sadly, my friends, not much has changed over the last 2,000 years. There's, there's still um, people who are just not satisfied in Jesus alone. If anything, it's gotten worse over these last 2,000 years. And even more concerning, I think, is that there are some among the church who are not truly among us. They're with us physically. They're a part of the visible church, but they're not a part of the invisible church that is the true body of Christ. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? People sitting in chairs in pews all around the world right now who think they're good to go, and they're not. This is a concern of John's, and it should be a concern of ours too, right? That's not to scare anybody, um, but that's the reality that we face today. So that said, we're going to look at the passage, I hope, in an attempt to see, like, is there a threat? Is there, what does this concern mean for us? Is there something we need to be aware of because of the fact that there may be some among us that who are not truly of us? What exactly is going on here? And then what safeguards, what kind of parameters, guardrails can we put around us to make sure that we stay on the path? Because that's, that's what we want to do, right? We want to stay in the lane of the truth. Do we not? All right. So first, John makes a comparison as we read through that, uh, this sort of us and them contrast, and he actually uses that language, us and them, a lot. And so you can see right off the bat the way that he dresses the people, um, children. That's an endearing term. John loves these people. These are believers whom he is probably shepherding. He loves them. He wants um, there to be no question in their mind about who they are, about who God is. He he wants them to be spiritually grounded in the truth. But then we get right right from the get-go in verse 18, these two phrases that I think maybe catch our attention. So as you're looking at verse 18, what are some two phrases there that kind of catch your eye? Antichrist is coming. Antichrist is coming. And what else? the last hour, those are kind of the two that people kind of perk up on. They're like, oh, Antichrist, okay, this is interesting. Does anybody find those terms interesting, or do you think we should just like skip over that real quick? You want? Go, go ahead and do it for, okay. (laughs) There's a reason, no, there's not, I'm just going to say, Mike's like, I'll preach on this text if you want. I was like, that's my wheelhouse, Antichrist. Yeah, we'll talk about that all day. We're going to spend a little bit of time on those two terms, just a little bit. They're going to come into play, because we're going to continue in the letters of John, because after 1 John is 2 John, and then Third John, and then Revelation. That's our plan anyway, and we're going to use some of these terms as we get there, mainly to kind of... Address some false teachings and false understandings about these different things, but let's go with the last hour first. So, there's a lot of different ideas out there about what the last hour is. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the Bible teaches that the last hour um, it describes a period of time that began with the death, sorry, that began, yeah, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and will end upon his guaranteed return. That period of time is. The last hour. The reason it gets a little bit cumbersome is because the Bible uses a couple of different terms that seem to bleed into each other that seem to confuse the matter. So there's the last hour, and then there's the last day or last time. But then there's the idea that the last hour is going to have a last hour, and the last days are going to have a last day. So you're like, wait, what? what's happening now? It can get a little bit crazy, right? And you can see why people will spend a lot of time trying to figure all this out and put all these pieces together and map it all out and say, yeah, this is it. This is where we are. We're not going to do that because it's not really important right now anyway for us in this text. I'll leave you with um, what John Stott says on the matter. He says, John was expressing a theological truth rather than making a chronological reference. In other words... He could state on theological grounds that the last hour had struck, but this was not the same as affirming chronologically when the last hour would end. What you need to know right now is the Bible teaches us that we are in the last days right now, and we will remain in that until Christ returns. Got it? Okay. That's all we really need to know for this passage. We're going to get deeper into that when we hit Revelation, probably deeper than you ever wanted to go. But then we've got the Antichrist. This one, I think, gets a little bit more exciting for people. They're like, okay, let's talk about this. Um, But I want to ask, just kind of see where we are in the room. When you hear Antichrist, what sort of things come immediately to your mind? What is it? The Pope? Okay. (laughs) Evil? I heard evil. What else? False, False prophet. False prophet. Deception, charm, charm. okay, what's well, some good ones. Did you know that the only place in the entire Bible where the word Antichrist is used is in the letters of John? This is the only place in the entire Bible where the term Antichrist is used. Now is the idea of Antichrist found in other portions of the scripture? Absolutely, not the least of which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 which we're not going to go there. You can go look at and read it up this week if you want. But um, talk about the, the man of lawlessness and, and things of that nature, the spirit of Antichrist. The reason I think the word can be a little bit challenging is because of the prefix that is on there, Antichrist. So rather than just thinking anti as against, also think of anti as meaning instead of. That includes the image of a substitute or a replacement for Christ. It's not just, I'm anti, but it's like, no, I want to get in there and take the place of. John has both of these ideas in mind. It's sort of a a kind of diabolical parody of God's Messiah, as Don calls it, a diabolical parody. So it's both one who is opposed and one who seeks to replace. That's what we're talking about here. Now, so what John is not identifying in this context anyway, hear me now, he's not talking about a future world leader who will set himself up against God, a la Revelation. That's not who John is talking about here. How many of you thought that's what John was talking about when he said Antichrist? That's not what he's talking about in this passage. And we know that because we're going to read the rest of the passage here. Look at the the rest of verse 18. You've heard... That the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know this is the last hour. So it's not just one, and it's not just in the future, at least not exclusively, right? Because they've already come, and there's more than one, it's plural, Antichrist. So what John is describing here is what we'll call the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist. In other words, this is not a specific person, necessarily, but it's a group of people, persons, who are making certain claims about who Jesus is and moving away from Jesus and his teaching. Namely, that John says in verse 22, can you put up verse 22 there? This is describing who this person is. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So denying Jesus as the Christ. We're going to get more on that when we unpack it, but just up front, the spirit of Antichrist is is a denial of the Messiah, Jesus, the, the godliness, the deity, whatever you want to label that. But we're going to get on that in a minute. So he's going to make his first big move now in the text. He's going to put space. Remember I told you it's an us and them comparison. So now he's going to put space between us and them. Look at uh, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You get the point, right? But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, they all are not of us us so if John is writing to the church which he is and this group of people went out from them what does that mean in terms of who these people used to be they used to be at least members of the church right at the very least it seems they were among them they were a part of the flock they were Like, if this was all of us today, and John's writing a letter, he's writing to everybody, and then if someone went out from us, that means that they were former members of the church. Again, at the very least. But John says, if they were truly of us, they would not have gone out in the first place. was not that what he said? They would have continued with us in the work of Jesus in the local church. They would have done that if they were really of us. But, they didn't. And it's for a purpose that they went out. Why did they go out according to the end of verse 19? Yeah, but why? So that it would be. So to become obvious. It would be clear to everybody else that they weren't of us. John is saying that one of the reasons they left is so that we would know those people we thought were with us, they're not with us. That's one of the reasons they went out. In other words, this group of people claimed faith and did life with other believers, but they were not a part of the invisible church that I talked about earlier. They were not true believers, it seems. People from within the church, they left because they found, quote, more truth about God or a different truth about God. Does this this describe any religious groups out there today who have a different view about Jesus or other kinds of deities? Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. I'm not going to name any names necessarily. Um, But that's them. There they are. That group of people exists. And then we see in contrast in verse 20, he says, but you... So that's them. But you... There's something special about you. Look at verse 20. Sorry, I didn't put it up there. Making Lee work for it. There it is. But you have been, what? Anointed, anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Okay, so that's a different kind of description of, of people. So this idea of being anointed by the Holy One guess what, is another point of disparity among Christians. <laughs> this can actually get a little bit crazy if you start talking to certain people about what this is because the word used there is charisma. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go further into that. It has all kinds of connotations based on your spiritual background. Let's just say that, right? But let's let's piece some concepts together so we can get an idea of where we think John is going with this. Think all the way back to the Old Testament if you, if you can, if you have that knowledge in there to think back on. What did it mean to be anointed in the Old Testament? What actually physically took place during somebody's being anointed? Oil oil, oil, oil. Oil was put on them, right? They were, (laughs) oil was on them, okay. But then the Messiah came, aka the Lord's anointed. How was he anointed at his at, at his baptism, Was he he anointed with oil at his baptism? He was not. Does anybody know what Jesus was anointed with at his baptism? Okay, I'm I'm impressed. Acts 10.38, in case you didn't hear or you don't believe. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is at his baptism. If you read back in Acts chapter 10, Luke is describing this. Now John is saying... That we've been anointed by the Holy One. So it seems clear that what John means is that the anointing we have received is through the same source as Jesus. It's through the illumination of the Spirit of truth that we know the truth. And then he says that we have received all knowledge. That's an amazing thing, right? So, as part of our conversion experience, that's what happens. There's a revelation, there's a, an awakening within us to where we understand the truth about who God is. And it's not some secondary outpouring of the Spirit where all of a sudden we get a new knowledge. We're like, oh, okay, now I see things differently. This happens at our conversion, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Did you know the Spirit dwells in you? Paul talks about it in the Christians, right? He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Like, it's very clear that this is the case. And then his purpose in writing to them is to affirm that they have all the truth that they need. And it's the same truth that what? That they've known since the beginning. The beginning beginning of their faith journey is the same exact truth. You can see the distinction John is making between us and them. Those who have the truth and those who are seeking an alternative or an additional truth. So I want to just mention one quick thing right here, because if you were with us through John's gospel or you know anything about John's gospel, he's really big on love in his writings, right? He's always talking about love. So is it loving to say these kinds of things about people? I mean, it's kind of harsh, right? They went out from us. They weren't of us. It's like, get out of here. Love does not mean getting along with everyone, regardless of what they believe, in an exercise of tolerance that ignores truth. Love does not surpass truth, but it maintains that there is a truth apart from which people will perish. However, shoving that down somebody's throat, as often I've ever seen it, does nothing to bring people to faith in Jesus. A holier-than-thou mentality does not produce disciples of Jesus. Calling out non-believers for their sinful behavior does not, that does not align with the Bible has little impact for the sake of the gospel. So take care in how you leverage this truth with people that you know and love who don't believe what you believe. There is a way to walk in love with people and respectfully disagree. But truth does not bend in that regard. There is one truth. And that's one of the hardest parts about the Christian faith, is it is exclusive. That's that's one of the things that people outside of the faith have the hardest time with. It's so exclusive. I don't make that claim. God made that claim. (laughs) I'm just telling you what he says. That's a hard truth. That's a hard thing. That's why the gospel is offensive to a lot of people. He says you're wrong. And there is only one way in this plurality of, of religious experiences that we have in this world, man, that's a tough thing to stand firm in. But that's what we're called to do, right? Okay. So that's the us and the them. We get that spirit of Antichrist and that stuff going on around there. Let's just look real quickly at sort of the nature of this heresy, which we'll call it. Um, false doctrine, false teaching, the nature of it and the effect of it. The rest of this is going to go pretty quick, I promise. The nature and the effect in this line of thinking that opposes the truth. We said earlier, if you remember when describing the Antichrist, that the heart of the matter is that people were denying Jesus as the Christ. Right? More specifically, they're denying the deity of Christ. There's, there, in other words, they're saying that Jesus wasn't God. He was just a man. A variation of this in some religions that still believe this today is that they would say Jesus was born and then died a man. And then there was a period of time during his earthly ministry where he was anointed and he was the Messiah. But just in that period, started when he got baptized and ended when he died. But outside of that, he wasn't really the Son of God. So when you talk to them, you would say, Oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, he was a real man. He was there, and yeah, he he was he died on the cross for our sins. But they deny. The fact that he was the Messiah, the the Son of God, the one who came here and took up residence with us as the Word made flesh. They would say he would only be partially divine and deny the incarnation of the Son of God. There are some major religions in our world that believe this. And it can be very subtle as you're talking with them about what they believe and what they don't believe. So denying that Jesus is the Christ is the problem. What's the result of that? Verse 23, if you deny the Son, you cannot be in relationship with the Father. It just cannot happen. That includes any variation on the truth, of which there are many. As John says in verses 21 and 27, no lie is of the truth. And I love this. This is not mine. This is John Stott again. He says, Opposing views are not complementary insights, but truth and error. Sometimes we, we have the conversation with people, they, they say, Oh, well, yeah, you believe that, I believe this, but they all go to the same place. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what this is about. Opposing views are not complementary insights, but truth and error. There's only truth, and there's only lie. No lie is of the truth. That's what John tells us. Again, a hard thing to have to to walk out. And if you ever talk to someone who subscribes to one of these false teachings, you'll see, again, how subtly they deny the deity of Christ. They make it sound really good. They make it sound like they believe what you believe. But then when you start peeling back the layers, you'll be like, oh, wait a minute. You don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God? You don't believe that He eternally is the Son of God? That's the game changer, right? Do you remember last week? Was it last week? Yeah. Um, We talked about how the enemy does that. So who's the god of this world? Satan, the devil, right, exactly. We talked about do not love the world, the things in the world, desires, the eyes, flesh, all that stuff. And how it happens just just under the surface sometimes. It's very... Very, very subtle. You can see how people get drawn away, especially if they're not really rooted or grounded in the truth. So, we've got to be careful. There are people all around us who are trying to pull us away from the truth. Back in John's time and now today. So, if that's the case, we need to have some safeguards against this false teaching. We need to have some things that we know that are going to keep us, some rails, if you will, some guard posts to keep us on the path. So, two safeguards in these last couple of verses that are going to help us to remain on that path. The first one, verse 24, is the word that they heard from the beginning. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard in the beginning abides in you, then you will abide, and you too will abide, in the Son and in the Father. So what is it that they were taught in the beginning? The truth, right? The word of God, the gospel. If you remember what I had talked about at the beginning of this message, that the truth has already been revealed to you and there's nothing else you need, right? You. Don't need to add on to it. There is nothing else to add on to it, but you do have to remain in it. What's the word that John uses all the time? Abide. That's like his favorite word. I think it's used in all of his writings like 57 times or something like that. Abide, 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 abide. And then he says, as long as you do that, as long as you remain in that truth, abide in the truth, your relationship with the Son and with the Father is secure. Isn't that what he said? So is John saying that doing this work of abiding is somehow contributing to your salvation? Are you sure, though? Isn't that what he said? If you do this, then you will abide? So it seems to me like he's saying, as long as you do this, you're kind of earning your salvation. Is that biblical? No. <laughs> Not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. What he teaches is that this behavior of relentlessly pursuing the truth and allowing that truth to shape your life is evidence that you are in Christ. That's what he's saying. It's, it's proof that you are in Christ if you are staying in it. The Friday Night Life group up in the San Jose is going through um, Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14 tells us a little bit something about that. If we could put that one up there real quick. It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, the evidence that you were a believer throughout your life is the fact that you're going to be able to share in Christ. You're going to come across the finish line having believed that truth and maintained it all the way through to the end. The evidence, the proof, the fruit that you are abiding in the truth is that you make it to the end and that you are in Christ Jesus for eternity. You see what he's getting at? It's not that you're earning your way in. He's just saying that you'll know that you're on the right path as you're abiding in it and you come across that finish line. So you think about your, your life, whether you're 10 years old or 99 years old. Think about your life and all the things that you've had to face, all the trials you've had to walk through as a believer. And then you can look forward to the next X amount of years and all the things you're going to have to walk through. Sometimes you've had to fight really hard to cling to that truth. Have you not? Right? Life gets incredibly difficult. And sometimes you're just like, forget it. I'm done. I'm out of here, God. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm, I'm done. Like, Man you got to fight with all you have to hold on to the truth that you've heard from the beginning. It's necessary that we cling tightly to the Word of God and the truth of who God is through it all to the end of our lives. Are there going to be moments where we fall away and come back and ebb and flow in that? Yeah, there are. I don't know anybody who's been... every day of their life, all in for Jesus, fully confident of everything that God does, 100% with all that they have their entire life. I don't know anybody that's done that. But the, the trajectory, the pattern, the direction is toward abiding in the truth, right? And as we do this, as we abide in that truth that we've known at the beginning, And we're assured of our relationship with God. One of the promises that he offers to us us, is found in verse 25. What's the promise of this in verse 25? Eternal life. Abide in the truth that you heard from the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remain in that all the days of your life. Be assured of the relationship that you have with the Father through the Son, and you will have eternal life. That's the promise. So the first safeguard is the Word of God and our abiding and remaining in that truth. You want to know how to stay on the rails (laughs) to be in that same direction is the Word of God shaping and impacting and influencing your life. Amen? Amen? That's why reading this every day is so important. It's not just something that we say because I think we should read the Bible. No, it has a purpose. It's to keep us abiding in it and to move in that regular pattern, that regular direction of living a life for Jesus. But we've got to know what this says in order to abide in it, right? So the second safeguard then is seen in verse 27. got the anointing that you received from him that abides in you. So we already know that that anointing is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and because of that work in us, we can be confident that the truth will be kept in front of us. The reality for them back then and for us today is that many people... Will come and try to convince you that what they that what you believe is mostly true, or partially true, or not true at all. They're gonna argue with you. And he says, because of this fact, we've been promised the Holy Spirit, who John says in his gospel account will do something significant for us. You know, we don't, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in church for some reason. It's like this weird kind of thing that's out there. Like, what is what does the Holy Spirit really do? Obviously, we know He plays a role in our salvation. We learned that today, or we were affirmed in that today. He reveals the truth to us. But then look at John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Those first couple of words is a a specific role of the Spirit that He will guide you into what? The Holy Spirit, one of His functions is to guide you in all truth. That's a a great thing to have, right? (laughs) That's a great advocate for our benefit, that He's going to keep us and guide us into all truth because there's so many competing views and things that are trying to rip us away from the truth. Professor Job says it this way John now reassures his readers that the discernment they have exercised in the past that brought them to faith is the genuine work of the Holy Spirit, and that they have no need for anyone who teaches something new and different, no matter how spiritual it may appear. John is confident that the Spirit will confirm his teaching about Jesus Christ because the Spirit has inspired it. <laughs> right? This word is the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit. So John is confident that the Spirit is going to continue to reveal the truth to you to keep you affirmed by it. So the second safeguard that we have against heresy and false teaching is the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. He guides us into all truth. Another word is counselor that the word uses. He's active and at work all the time in our lives, helping us to discern truth from error and abiding in that truth. But sometimes we don't we don't incorporate the Holy Spirit into our lives because we're not really sure what that looks like or or how to do that but that's an important piece of the Trinity that we need to maybe spend some more time on because according to John it's imperative that we know how the Holy Spirit works in keeping us to abide in that truth remember I said at the beginning that the anointing of the Holy Spirit at conversion reveals the truth about who Jesus is and the Word of God keeps us abiding in that truth, well, let us add now that the Holy Spirit continues His work of maintaining the truth in our hearts and our minds. So if you want me to sum it up for you, I'll do that. Remember what you heard at the beginning. Continue in that truth. Trust in the Holy Spirit and bring as many people as you possibly can into that same truth. That's what John is talking about here. We're talking about brilliance and the basics. Man, this is about as basic as you can get. You don't need anything else. And I should add, I kind of glossed over it, but when John says you don't need anybody to teach you, he's not saying that you don't need teachers ever again. Because what is John doing in this letter? He's teaching. So clearly he's not saying, oh, just go out and do whatever you want. But some people will say that. Oh, you don't need any teacher. You don't need anybody to come up and teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Yeah, that's not exactly what he's talking about here. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal truth from error, and we have to discern. That's something that we do, my friends, as Christians, as believers, as we mature. We have to discern truth from error. We have to be able to look at the Word of God and hear what people say and teach. When anybody gets up here and preach, whose responsibility is it to make sure that what they're saying is the truth? It's yours. I mean, yeah, it's mine too, but the Bible tells you you ought to go home and look and study the word to make sure that it is true. And how are you going to know? How are you going to discern? You're just going to go out and get a seminary degree and, and you know study and learn Greek and all that stuff? Probably not. So what helps you to discern the truth? The Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. That's a key foundational principle in our Christian faith. Brilliance in the basics. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the fact that you sent your spirit to us to illuminate in us initially the truth about who you are, God. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Unable to save ourselves. But Christ, you came and you died in our place and you made a way for us to be redeemed through your sinless, perfect blood. And then you said, it's better that I go so that the Spirit may come. And then the Spirit comes and works and brings life and, and, and awakens our hearts to the truth of the gospel and we repent and we believe and we turn our hearts to you and we abide in the truth that we heard from the beginning to know, God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that we have eternal life In you. And no one else. And nothing else. God, is through you alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing, but it's a gift of God and not a result of works. God, help us to remain in the truth that we heard from the beginning. Abide in it. God, help us to be sensitive to the spirit of God who you've just told us, Lord, reveals the truth to us, keeps us from error. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for the way in which you love us, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Guard us against this error that we have heard about guard us against the spirit of antichrist guard us lord as every day that goes by in these last days it's going to get more and more difficult to remain and cling to this truth because the world is lost and the world is moving further and further away from your truth and there'll come a day when that truth is absolutely not tolerated anymore And we'll have to make a decision of what we're going to stand for. So God, help us to abide and to remain and to bring as many as we can in contact with the truth of the word of God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.